Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of Impeak. In this podcast, I speak with innovators at the forefront of emerging technologies. My guest on today's show is Kevin Trams, who works with Prism, a super interesting tech startup that allows people to buy NFTs together as a group. This is a fantastic way for friends and family or even random investors to come together to purchase valuable NFTs. It makes it possible for them to mitigate the risk of buying these assets alone while still having exposure to them. Before we start, I also want to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. Metabrew Society, founded by Holger Manwiller, is the first project that builds a utility bridge between NFTs and the metaverse and the legacy industry. Every Metabrew Society NFT gives you up to 200 cans of free craft beer per year. You also get voting rights on the business decisions and access to exclusive brewing classes and beer tastings. The NFT revolution of the beer industry happens now, and you can be part of it. So, Kevin, I discovered you because I'm a member of Proof Collective and I heard you speak there uh, and it really piqued my curiosity and I wanted to learn more about everything that you guys are building. So tell me a little bit about, you know, think the people who don't know anything about it, what is PRISM and then uh, what do you do over there? Yeah, thanks so much, Zoe. Um, so in a nutshell, PRISM is Web3's or platform for collective ownership. So essentially what we uh, enable users to do is that they can pool their resources, um, predominantly obviously money together into a shared multi-signature wallet uh, and then can invest into NFTs from that platform directly. Um, and the advantage of that is that um, obviously in a market where the most popular um, assets are, you know, blue chip elements such as you know, Moonbirds and Proof uh, Collective Passes, Doodles and all the other type of like blue chips that people kind of chase of um, can be shared, right? So you can um, pull money together to afford more expensive NFTs. That's like a very common use case that we see. But um, something that we like to think about is um, that NFTs are essentially just like an ownership uh, mechanism, right? So it's essentially just like a better form of digital ownership. And we already see today that NFTs are, um, you know, moving over to all types of industries like housing, uh, real estate, um, stock markets, like every every type of like industry is slowly adopting NFTs. So what we are truly trying to build in the long term is that groups can essentially own anything together. Right. So we're starting with NFTs today and NFTs are mostly PFPs right now, but um, we really see the vision where your basketball team could be owned by fans, right? Or there could be like a hotel that's owned by its own guests, right? So that's kind of like the future that we're building towards at Prism. This is so exciting. Like uh, what you just said about the basketball team, that would be like properly another level of how this technology can be used. So can you tell me a bit about any legal barriers that currently exist? Let's say, for example, this discussion came up on proof where people were like looking at at this house in I think it was in Austin, Texas or something. I can't remember. I may be wrong, but it was like somewhere in America where they said, guys, like if if everybody from proof puts uh, just 
at like half an ETH, we will be able to buy this house and it, and it could become like the our holiday house or something like that. Um, and, and I think in, in theory, it sounds great, but what are, what are the legal barriers around that? Like from a legal perspective, if you have ownership by too many people, let's say like 200 people get together and buy something, how does that work from the viewpoint of like a government recognizing that ownership? So uh, I will say straight out of the gate that I am not an expert and uh, please consult any any lawyers for like any legal advice uh, with regards to this matter. But as you've mentioned, obviously this, this comes up a lot, right? Um, and what we typically like to refer to are the SEC guidelines on investment clubs. So um, yeah, investment clubs are yeah, generally just like a group of people who like to pull money together to invest together, right? Um, and they make decisions together and, you know, these, these investment club meetings may be, you know, just like kind of like educational in nature and um, people like help make investment decisions with each other. But from, from a legal standpoint, what the SEC um, is, is saying today is that any group of uh, 99 members is kind of like exempt from many of the um, legal requirements that traditional investment firms have to uh, follow. Um, this is a yeah, almost like century old uh, statute that is, you know, was written way before like anything about cryptocurrency was obviously being built. So there, there isn't any good regulation for larger investment clubs out there, right? So there's a few guidelines that the ACC like um, requires with regards to like being in this investment club framework. One of them, which is the biggest barrier essentially for large groups to come together is that it has to be a group size of 99 or less. Um, everybody has to participate in the investment decisions, even though that's like very unclearly defined, right? Like, what does that even mean? Um, and then there's also like um, more considerations with regards to what type of securities people can invest in um, and whether it's even considered a security or not. So like all I can say today is that it's extremely vague and there isn't any great guidelines on it, right? So the way that we've seen groups on PRISM kind of solve for this problem is either by just trying to like stay under that, um, yeah, under these requirements to like be an investment club, even though, you know, it's not perfectly mapped, like this investment club framework by the SEC was not built for crypto and you can really see that. Um, but then other peoples are truly also start trying to start entities for their like DAOs that they're starting on present, right? And that's also a very poorly defined term today. So people are trying to find workarounds, but I think we are all like waiting for clarity uh, with regards to regulations. Uh, we're obviously trying to stay up to date as up to date as possible, trying to like point our um, squads that form on PRISM into the right direction. But the, the reality is that it's extremely unclear today. Okay, just, just as I expected. So um, as a business, does it worry you that this lack of clarity exists? Um, not necessarily. I think um, while we would love to have clarity today, I think with any emerging industry, there is regulation that has to catch up, right? And um, it was the case with, in the rise of internet companies, this is the right in the case of like, even like the industrial revolution, like regulations always had to catch up to like the new business models that companies came up with. And, you know, I think what people forget, especially 
like people like us who are in the space day to day is how small this space still is, right? The NFT space is incredibly small. There's like less than 200 million wallets used on OpenSea. Uh, sorry, 2 million wallets used on OpenSea today, which is like tiny, right? Like how many people actually invest in NFTs? So the fact that um, there is no regulation on, um, you know, collective NFT investing is not only not surprising, but also like not, not worrisome to me. It's just a natural evolution of how regulations and technology kind of like follow each other. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the space is so small that we still have to call it the space. You know, like I was, I was yeah. like, uh, I was writing a, a script for, um, you know, a new short kind of content series for YouTube and TikTok and things like that. And as I was writing, I, I thought I'm going to start with like a glossary of everything to do with the Web3 space, right? So, and the first uh, episode is actually about the space. It's like that we call this the space, you know, every time like we are talking about Web3, like that, that, the fact that it's still so small that we call it the space. <laughs> Once it becomes, you know, ubiquitous enough, then then we don't have to call it the space. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think Web3 is kind of like a... a like right now it's kind of seen as an industry on its own versus it should actually be something that powers all other industries right so we should just be talking about financial services healthcare real estate and just web3 is like the the like yeah the underpinning layer that just like powers yeah it's like internet right like internet is not an industry right Right. it's another layer of of uh, yeah you're right yeah it's actually i love that point yeah it is still a space for sure yeah definitely so um how long have you guys been doing this just for context, I work on the product team at Prism. Um, I joined about a year ago. Um, the company itself has been around for about two and a half years now. Um, the the group investing platform, as uh, you know it today, has only been around for about seven or eight months. So uh, Prism has iterated with um, a lot of different ideas around um, social investing in Web3. And I think there was like a real aha moment with the rise of um, things like Constitution DAO, Flamingo DAO, where really like large groups came together to um, pool assets together to kind of like shape culture almost, right? And um, we saw this need, um, you know, in other communities like um, Friends with Benefits, Crypto Packaged Goods, Proof, you know, people wanted to come together and pool assets to invest in, in um you know, assets that are meaningful to them, um, whether that's art or, um, you know, PFPs or any other type of um, projects, but didn't really have a good way of doing that. And we then actually within Prism, while we were working on another project, really like on a different product, tried to do this and just couldn't get it done. So um, (laughs) we decided like, okay, hey, this is actually like right within our realm, like we had talked a lot about, you know, what it means to like socially interact while financially investing together. And this felt like a new need that, um, you know, these groups were really getting up going after. So we kind of started with like smaller friend groups and building platforms for them. And then very quickly scaled to these like collector DAO type of larger community squads that are now investing really like millions of dollars together to, um, you know, buy, buy NFTs. Now, tell me this, when people come together to put their funds together to buy something, is that a DAO? Is it, are they essentially creating a DAO? I, I think the term DAO today is like very poorly defined, right? I think anything can be a DAO uh, if it has, or, or anything labels itself as 
DAO as soon as it has some like more than more than two people or more and something in Web3, right? Like people call themselves a DAO. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't have a super strong take on this. It's not very well informed. If, if you want to call yourself a DAO, if you've pulled money with five people together, that's great, right? But um, at the end of the day, it, we are really just like trying to power that um, financial aspect of like coming together as a team. And whether you want to call yourself a DAO, that's kind of like up to you. I should I should look this up a little bit more what what that what that means. Very cool. Okay, so um, because obviously also DAOs are something that right now we don't have any regulations for. It's not clear, right. and and now like Senator Loomis and Gillibrand, you know, they, they I think they suggested that DAOs should become companies, uh, essentially, or a new form of company. Um, mm -hmm. And if that happens, that kind of defies the whole object of objective of, of you know what what people are trying to do with DAOs. Um, so what do they call themselves? Like a prism group? Is that what they call themselves? Yeah, we we call them squads. So we we chose the term squads because um, at the end of the day, a lot of people do this because they are aligning on a shared objective, right? So. Um, it was really cool to see um, something that I was really excited about, um, like kind of communities come together to really drive like social missions, right? So um, whether that's like um, raising funds for like um, a specific, uh, you know, social cause that you care about, right? Like we've, we've seen um, communities come together to uh, raise funds for, you know, um, Sorry, the 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 Roe versus Wade um, overturning like that, like raising NFTs and like that cause, uh, raising money for NFTs in that um, realm was like really interesting to see. That's that's how we've kind of like seen like groups come together for for different use cases on Prism. Uh, okay, so how many squads do you have right now? As as we are having this conversation, which is like around end of July. Yeah. Um, so as of end of July, we have about four hundred squads live. Um, the, the term squad, like this, this metric is kind of like a vanity metric, right? Because on the one hand, we have squads that are, you know, two or three people strong and that counts as one squad, but then we also have squads with, you know, 60, 70, um, 80 people. So our total number of actual users has crossed more than 5,000 people, which is, um, pretty cool for, um, a product that's been around for like half a year or so. Um, so that's kind of like the number of use cases we've touched today. Very nice. So 5,000 people in general are in it and 400 squads. So like uh, you could say that on average, it's around like five, uh, like four or five persons like around, mm -hmm. around that kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Very cool. And um, has there been, been any uh, cases of, um, you know, like people wanting to, it's one of the things that like I really worry about when I think about if I were going to do something like that with other people and then what if people in the group don't agree, you know, they don't get on or somebody wants to pull out because they need their money. Like what's what's the plan around these things? Is there any contingencies? Yeah, so I think this is exactly what we are trying to facilitate at Prism, right? So we are trying to make group ownership extremely seamless and easy while also still having it built on the safety and trustless elements of Web3, right? So um, I think there's two elements to, to your question. One is kind of like, what are the best practices that squads kind of should follow? And then like, what happens just in case, right? 
So I think at the beginning of a squad, it's very important to kind of like align on a couple of like elements, like investment horizon, like what type of assets you want to invest in, how large the squad size should be, like how do you see this squad evolve? Just because um, if you have some shared alignment on these um, elements, you are less likely to see a squad fall apart only weeks after its creation, right? Um, so it's, we have like content published on this, like what are kind of like the best practices to follow at the beginning of this, not only the technical setup itself, but kind of like the vision, right? So that people are not surprised when um, they see different types of investment solutions and um, if investment proposals come in. And then, yeah, but then what happens in the case of somebody wanting to actually leave, which, you know, can happen. Um, and as you essentially form a squad, start a funding round, we, we essentially help these squads issue equity. And then this equity stake is kind of like their ownership stake in the squad. And we have, um, yeah, payout processes that essentially track um, how much people are essentially owed in their squad, depending on what they invested in and what the value of the NFTs is today. And then we just help people pay out um, their, their fair share in exchange for selling that equity back to the squad. Do people need to be accredited investors? No, not necessarily. Not as of today. Again, no legal advice, but um, this is not a common use case that we see on present today. And uh, what level of know-how do people need to have to even get started with, with this? How, how hard is it? Like, what's the barrier of entry from, like, understanding the basics uh, to be able to even get started with it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think um, the short answer is not that high, but I think the more nuanced answer is that um, there are kind of two types of user groups within a squad, right? So they're kind of like the squad leaders. So those are the people that usually come together to start the squad, coordinate fundraising, like procure all the investment opportunities once the funds are raised and kind of like manage the squad over its life cycle. And for that, you need a little bit of a deeper knowledge of the crypto space, right? So you need to understand how obviously like transactions work. Um, you kind of like need to understand the dynamics of an NFT um, market landscape, um, kind of like how to invest, what to invest, because you're essentially procuring the investment opportunities for the squad. Um, but then if you are, a participant in a squad, right? You can kind of just like contribute to the squad and almost sit and relax, so to say. Of course, you can contribute um, by showing other investment ideas if you would like, but we specifically um, differentiate that between signing members in a squad and non-signing members in the squad, right? So both, both types of members can hold equity in a squad, but while signing members are really the ones that issue the proposals and vote on things, uh, the non-signing members are really those that provide um, just capital. How do people choose who is going to be the signing member? So that typically starts at the formation of the squad. So, um, you know, typically it's like a group of two or three, four people that come together and they all essentially want to be signing members. But then as they gather interest for their mission, so to say, they there might be a case. And um, we've seen this happen a lot where there are, like multiple signers that then from this, um, you know, new kind of audience that gets, gets attracted to the squads are also kind of like added to the governing body of signers of the, of the squad members. Um, and this happens very informally today, but um, we're actually thinking about mechanisms of productizing this process as well. So uh, have you had cases of, let's say, for example, 
a group of people come together and buy an asset, but the price of that asset goes up dramatically. And, mm -hmm. and now people see an opportunity to make money from it. Let's say like we bought a proof pass at, at 20 ETH. Now it's sitting at 100 ETH. And somebody looks at that and they're like, let's sell it or I want to sell mine, right? And then that's one, one question I have. What happens in that case? The other question I have, let's say that, here's the thing. Let's say, for example, we get an, uh, we all put together our money and buy a proof pass. And then proof has, an, has a drop. And then they drop uh, maybe, you know, moonbirds, right? And mm -hmm. for each proof pass, you get two moonbirds. Mm -hmm. um, who now owns a moonbird? Like, how does mm -hmm. that work? Yeah. Um, so I think you're touching on like very interesting, like almost philosophical considerations of kind of shared ownership. Um, so the way to understand um, how we interpret it on present squads is that the, the ownership that each member really gets isn't um, tied to specific NFTs, right? It is ownership of the actual squad itself. Right. And the squad, like that multi-signature wallet address, that that address owns all of the NFTs. Right. So it's it's um not useful to think of um you know 10 members owning two moonbirds. It's more useful to think about 10 members owning a squad which owns two moonbirds, right? So it's a um, bit like a company then, like it's a company. Exactly. exactly. It is it is it is like this, you know, DAO or whatever you would like to call it that people have shared ownership in and then that DAO in itself is its own kind of separate entity, not in necessarily in legal terms, but really in terms of like what type of wallet address owns this, right? Um and NFTs aren't like fractionalized across different wallets or something like that, right? It is truly just owned by this one wallet address. And then what we are trying to do is we're trying to make the operation of this group owned um, yeah, wallet address really easy, right? Um, so in, in, in your case that you kind of like mentioned where the Moonbird has, oh, sorry, the proof collected pass has increased from <laughs> 20 ETH uh, to 100 ETH, um, what happens right so and in that case because people have ownership in the squad itself now everybody can kind of like make a proposal to what to do with these nfts right so somebody can put up a proposal hey i want to sell this nft and then um the other members have to sign off on that proposal right and then there is agreement or disagreement within this but essentially everybody that is a signer in the squad has voting rights in the squad which then um, facilitates any transaction that would happen downstream with the NFTs that the squad owns. Very cool. So like in, in some ways, this could really open up uh, the possibility for maybe people who cannot necessarily afford to buy a specific uh, asset as a whole. They can come together, buy that asset, knowing that there will be additional things you know, related to the asset that will be dropped. Yeah. And and by the way, any type of airdrop that happens because the squad owns a specific NFT, right? Any additional value that um essentially the the NFT will will grant the holder is then also equally split across the or I should say split across the squad owners because the it gets dropped into the multi-signature wallet, right? So if I own 10% of this squad then you know i am i have the right so to say to like 10 percent of the value to that so um all types of like airdrops just get pulled into the shared wallet which are then still owned by the by the squad so um 
yeah, the utility is still is still available in the exact same percentage um, points that you that you own the squad at. And uh, I remember that when we had this conversation on proof, uh, there was the mention of let's say for example, if several people own a proof pass together, they could uh, have turns, as in like who will get to use it. Uh, yeah. But I seem to remember Stevie saying that essentially there has to be like a cooling uh, period uh, yeah. between who uses it. So tell me a bit more about that. Can you explain that? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, shout out to Stevie for, um, you know, facilitating the proof uh, prism collaboration. Um, yeah, really, really uh, awesome community lead that, that proof has. Uh, to, to explain um, more in, in more detail what, what this actually means is I think you have to understand that there are so many different NFT projects with so many different types of utility out there, right? And it becomes really complex if you have shared ownership over um, utility that is only meant to be for one address, right? So um, for example, access to the um, proof discord is only granted to one Moonbird holder, right? If you hold the NFT, like you yourself can get access, but if there's a multitude of people or a multi-signature wallet holding an NFT um, with that grants one person access, like what do you do? So we have essentially built a mechanism um, where people that own the uh, NFT and the multi-signature wallet, they can allocate that utility of, for example, the Discord access to proof to one of the individual members, right? So in that way, um, the squad members can still consume the utility, which is the Discord access of the squad, uh, but within the terms that kind of like respects the, the terms set out by the individual community, right? So there's not like a flood of people now accessing Discord. It is still just one person per, per NFT that they per Moonbird that was issued, right? And, and your question around the cool-off period, this is essentially so that um, the squad doesn't abuse um, these types of uh, shared ownership mechanisms, right? So it's not like I'm accessing and I'm posting in the Moonbird chat and then like one second later, I can just give that um, right to you. So we've we've built in certain mechanisms that the projects can kind of like, um, yeah, facilitate themselves where it's like, okay, hey, there needs to be like a 48 hour cooling period where if you want to change it, then nobody else can access it. Or within one week, only one address can hold it, right? So, so things like that, that kind of like, are still in in line with the guidelines that the that the community and the project has set out um while still enabling the the squad to um, consume the utility of the of the nfts so definitely from a access point of view this is something people need to know about and take into consideration if they are going down that route that there is that it's a weak cool off period right that in between right. like who uses it yeah. Yeah. what are some of the other common things that you think people need to know. Um, do you have some recommendation as to how people should go about finding fellow squad members together? Mm. And For sure, yeah. I think um, a common misperception um, that we are really trying hard to work against is that this is difficult to, to start. And it's really not. Like you can start this with one other person and you already have a multi-signature wallet, right? You can start small. You, the, the biggest barrier that we see not only like for tools like Prism, but for group investing more broadly is that people think that it's incredibly difficult to make transactions together. But um, yeah, I would recommend people just start within their trusted friend circle, buy something that is like, you know, 
um, low risk, you know, it's a like, very small type of asset value uh, and just get the exposure to what it feels like to interact with multi-signature wallets um, and with the governance that comes from that. And then from there, you can think about like, okay, what happens if we would add two more people or five more people or 10 more people? Um, a lot of people see these like massive squads on prison with like 80 people and like 500 ETH. And it's like, that's like not the way to start, right? Like, so, so start with a friend and, and get exposure that way. Um, because it's easier to, to just, you know, align on like a small mission or something like that, that you can accomplish. And then you can scale from there. Is there any kind of protection from prison if there is dispute or problems? That's a really good question. So it kind of like brings me back to the Web3 space and the entire ethos of everything, right? So while obviously we are um, trying to facilitate, you know, the safe um, handling of like wallets and funds and everything, at the end of the day, Prism is not the custodian of your funds, right? This is all built on uh, like blockchain multi-signature wallets. So if, if there are members that lock themselves out and they haven't taken like security measures to, to you know, be able to recover their wallets, that's on them, right? So um, it's kind of like the classic Web3 trade-off where um, we are facilitating decentralized, like truly decentralized ownership, um, sacrificing these like, you know, advantages of centralization where you can recover your wallets, recover your funds in the case of a user, right? So um, to, to answer your question, I don't think we're actually like involved at all in the facilitation of, um, you know, protection of funds or anything. And we made that decision specifically because we want to like follow the like true Web3 ethos, ethos of decentralized ownership. So what's your business model? How, how do you, I know that you have an NFT. Um, so what does that NFT do and how will you monetize? So backing up a little bit, we are a venture capital backed startup. Um, so at the at the beginning of our like journey when we set up to build product, we were not focused on profitability at all. We are just trying to build a product that like gains traction and then figuring out how we can monetize that later. I think it's like it's like a pretty common um, <laughs> element to to be experimenting around, especially like at the stage that we are at right now, um, to then find something that actually has like signals of product market fit. And you know we're not there yet by any means, but um, I think. Like within the next few quarters, we are going to think more specifically about revenue models and monetization, right? Nice. So um, I think there are many elements today on Prism that are like truly value adding to, to squad creators and squad members. But what's important for us is that um, we align our like monetization strategy with the value add of our users, right? So as you mentioned today, like Prism is entirely free. Like our business model isn't clear. Um, and the NFT that we issue is truly just to grant access to the platform. The only reason why we limit access to the platform today is because um, we take pride in giving every single squad really like white glove customer support. And we can't do that with, you know, tens of thousands of squads online today. Um, so we, we kind of like slowly but surely like roll out the product to um, multiple communities, most recently Proof, um, to, to like increase our user base a little bit more in a um, throttled way as we continue to develop the product and our business model. The business models that we do see as viable, um, you know, one element which I personally am not the biggest fan of, but it's like the classic subscription model that we kind of like know from like Web2 products. 
Um, a more web three element could be that we, for example, take a small stake of like every funding round that you raise on Prism, right? So every time we help facilitate you raise funds, we, we might take like a small fee for that, depending on how many funds you actually um, uh, were able to gather. So we're currently actually testing out different things with some of our users, trying to understand what their like willingness to pay is, um, and then figuring out different business models down the road. There might be, um, you know, specific type of features that we build um, that have like kind of like a premium fee attached to it. Um, some things to think about are like more um, advanced role management. So like as soon as you like deposit into a squad, you get issued this NFT that gets you a specific role on some separate squad discord that they open, right? So like really thinking about different types of use cases for, for squads and niches that we can penetrate to, to then eventually monetize the product. Amazing. I really appreciate you doing this podcast and I, I would really love to have you on the platform to come in and like actually share your screen, show us exactly how it works, you know, like do a, yeah, a walkthrough, uh, you know, and, and teach our members because I think there are a lot of people who either don't, don't want to take the risk or don't have the uh, funds to buy, you know, major assets by themselves, but they can, uh, they can really uh, access these ecosystems um, in a sh shared ownership manner. So, uh, so that's, that's really helpful. Where can people find out more? They can learn more about Prism and yourself. Yeah, please um, check out Prism on Twitter. It's at Prism <laughs> underscore XYZ, um, or just go to Prism.xyz. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kevin Toms. And yeah, please reach out if you have any questions and definitely reach out if you want to start a squad. Thank you. I'm definitely going to come in and, and check this out. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit old school. I'm, I'm a bit worried about doing anything like that, but I might do one with my team, like at, in our company, so that um, they can all learn and I can learn and we can practice together. Yeah. We have, so I think what you're, what you're running into personally, and like, I'm actually curious to, now my product manager brain is coming on, like, what are your barriers to entry, right? I like I think, to own stuff by myself. <laughs> the reason, you know why? Because I come from Iran originally, and I had to build uh, my life from scratch coming uh, to the UK. So like, I think from that point of view, I think a lot of immigrants might have this feeling. On the other hand, there are immigrants that they're very family oriented and they are always together. So maybe they will find, you know, families might want to do things like that together. Yeah. Um, the, the immigrant story certainly resonates with me. I, um, my mom is from the Philippines, moved to the US, but then moved to Germany where I was born um, and then moved around a bunch in Europe and then moved to the US again like five years ago and then got into the space. Um, it's very interesting that you're describing this dynamic of uh, different cultures having different um, associations with shared ownership as a concept. Yeah, I guess it would be very, very interesting to find out what type of people don't like shared ownership. At the end of the day, like there are many, many reasons for why people might not want to even engage in shared ownership, whether that's cultural or personal background, like just personal preference. But at the end of the day, there are also a very limited amount of tools out there, not only in Web3, that facilitate shared ownership, right? Yeah, so it's definitely. incredibly difficult to own a house together. Like you, you just cannot do that really, right? So I'm like actually very curious to hear about the example that you mentioned earlier with 
Kuf members trying to like come together to buy real estate, right? Because there are no, there are very infrequent like success stories of shared ownership, right? Yeah. So, so that is actually something that we're trying to not only solve in Web3, but solve as a whole for the world, right? Because we think that Web3 is actually the missing piece to shared ownership, right? Like you cannot, like the, the fact that a basketball team can be like an NFT collection where you distribute ownership that way. And then in that way, it can actually truly be shared and coordinated. That is so. interesting. Like, like a basketball team, definitely like, you know, something like that. I would totally like be up for something like that, you know, to, to have an NFT that gives you shared ownership. I'm pretty sure there's going to be legal issues around that because I bet like it, they will say it's a security, etc. You know, like I'm, I'm not sure if if you have actually seen examples of that. I guess one scenario where I would be up for a shared ownership is something like a holiday house. Say like a group of friends, we are all living in London and uh, and if we could put together, you know, like six or seven of us, um, you know, the money to buy a holiday house in south of france then then we would have uh, rotate you know like who will get to use it in different times right. of the year you know things like that I, i definitely see a value in that because i wouldn't necessarily want to buy a flat in south of france that i'm not going to go there all the time right. but, but i would like to have access to that and i want it to be Uh, looked after you know so so we would all look after it together something yeah. like that i can see i can see the value of that um i can see even like maybe even with like vehicles you know like cars and things like that exactly. would be really yeah. interesting but like i wouldn't want to share my moonbird <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, and that's fair especially with the nfts there are things that become part of your personality like mm -hmm. for example my moonbird I just had it animated, so he picks up his hat and says yeah. "DM," you know. And, and I'm gonna have him in my new content I'm, uh, that I'm creating. I'm gonna have him sit on my shoulder, you know. Oh, so it will be like it, like that. Moonbird is like it's so uh, it it means something to me because it's like yeah, what my first experience, you know, in like getting something really that expensive that you know that was like you know then that then that was the reason why i joined proof and and all of those things you know so it was like my first foray into like a blue chip type uh you know uh, asset this is so interesting right like for example i saw a group of people i really love the skeleton birds and uh they're quite expensive they're like selling for about 50 60 And I saw that uh, some people were saying about let's pull together. They were creating a prism squad to buy a skeleton, but I didn't participate in that. So I was like, then I don't own it, <laughs> you know, you know? Yeah. So, so that's fascinating because I suppose the reason why the house, the holiday house example works is because I know I will get to use it, but a skeleton a bird that I can't necessarily put it up as my, you know, I can't say like I own this skeleton, yeah. bird, you know? I, I think that's, so I think the, the element that you are talking about here, well, there are multiple elements, but I think you have to differentiate between active and passive shared ownership, right? Like if yeah. I own like Google stock, I'm probably a very passive owner of Google, right? And I'm like a micro, like a very, like one of millions of shareholders, right? Um, and then the other like element To, to, to utility to, to is, the, is the element of utility, right? Like, first of all, do I want this utility? And then can the utility be shared, right? So in the case of a skeleton NFT, like 
how easy it is, is it for the group to actually share that utility? And for, for Moonbirds, arguably it's a little bit difficult, right? Because only one member at a time can access the Discord, right? But for example, for that holiday house or a car amongst your family members, right? Like that's really easy utility to own, right? And again, like I, I cannot under like overstate how important it is that NFTs are just seen as this ownership license, right? that then like allows companies like Prism to build on top of, to facilitate the shared ownership of these ownership licenses. And then, you know, distribute the utilities amongst the holders. So, so that's what we're really excited about. That's what we're like building for in the future. But to be clear right now, we don't yet have that um, ability, do we? Like, like at the moment with, let's say, for example, with the Prism uh, NFTs uh, or, or uh, you know, Prism Squad, can they actually buy a house or not? So it depends on whether the house, the ownership license is an NFT, right? Like okay. because we are an NFT investing platform and we've like, our big bet is that NFTs are going to become the predominant ownership form of ownership, right? Um, so as long as the house is an NFT, yes, you can, you can um, own the NFT together in the shared way, right? Or again, rather I should say the squad can own the NFT and then you um, own um, a, sh a share in the squad. And then with regards to the actual ownership of the house, like, um, you know, any dividends or any rent that comes in that gets like attached to the value of the NFT, all that is easily shared. But if you say, for example, hey, I want to live in that house for a while, then you could think about different mechanisms that Prisms could build to like, like essentially distribute the NFT ownership or like the temporary ownership allocated to one of the addresses that are the holders of this, right? So so do you see a, a scenario in the future where every item has the option of being an NFT or having like a normal, uh, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, like paper, paper slip that yeah. you get from your, from your broker? <laughs> yeah, so, because like, I just want to like, is, are there houses right now that are NFTs? I actually don't know. Um, I think there's like a few experiments going on. I've read about a couple, but there's there's definitely no like like entire market that is uh, available to like be purchased in NFTs. Um, and and if anybody's listening to this and it's already the case, please let me know because that's something that I um, we're definitely going to be building for. So we actually had a session on our platform, uh, which was about the metaverse and the future of real estate. Metaverse NFTs, you know, this was one of the most uh, favorite, uh, you know, it was like really well attended. Um, so we have a big mailing list and audience of people who are in that uh, in that space. There are a number of companies that are very, very interested in this space. Uh, very big real estate companies who want to better understand this. So I guess we need those those people to really dig into this. And, and so and then Prism is interested in exploring that as well right absolutely i think i think specifically for real estate um the the case for shared ownership is a really interesting one because these are again like large ticket items right like houses sell for millions of dollars today in any of the coastal areas of the us so it'll be some type of like eth equivalent that is going to be very difficult to acquire um on your own right but um, if you wanted to share the risk, share the investment costs, like share ownership of the way. There's another like really interesting use case, which um, we haven't talked about yet. And that's the use case of gaming. So there are many like in-game guilds and teams that are forming to play, you know, uh, multiplayer games against other, other teams together. And 
they are actually like a very, um, you know, shared ownership native audience, right? Because um, they are very used to like buying digital um, assets and then like distributing those to their team, right? So um, you can think of like any type of like um, multiplayer game and where you can like, you know, level up to acquire specific, you know, swords for your individual characters or like, I don't know, any type of like hats or like any type of like digital ownership piece where um, you can then distribute it amongst your team members. And the, the interesting thing to keep in mind here is that obviously the front end itself is the game, right? So how would Prism even work in that case? And because we're building essentially like this protocol of shared ownership that our own front end then utilizes, you could essentially just decouple the elements of like fundraising and you know distributing the utility to individual teams into any type of shared ownership use case and particularly gaming is really interesting because um you see people like invest already like massive amounts of capital and share di different digital items together amongst their team members so so that is like something that um with regards to like your audience right like if there are any people there that are trying to like facilitate this and make this easier for their for their teams that they already have on the platform to share assets together, buy and share assets together, um, that's a really interesting element that we're also thinking about. I know that quite a lot of people on our platform have asked uh, us to put on more sessions around gaming. They they really want to learn more about it. We haven't done as much yet. Um, uh, it's one of the areas that I'm looking at finding the right kind of people. It's been actually surprisingly hard to get people who are uh, in the gaming industry to come in and talk because yeah because i think they are mainly interested in just uh, getting more people to play their games they are not used to the concept of let's do a thought leadership session on gaming you know what i mean like it's not yeah, it's yeah. not a thing in in the gaming industry so i i need to look into like finding the right kind of people um, well, uh, let me know in case you find anyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I will continue to uh, to have conversations with you over email and, you know, we will, we will have yes. you on the platform, all that stuff. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kevin Trans. Be sure to follow Prism on Twitter. Kevin will also be presenting a number of educational sessions on Impeak to teach us more about how to buy NFTs as a team. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also on my YouTube channel, The Somi Aryan Show.